Hi, my honeys. Welcome back to a Home Truth episode where I'm going to drop a couple of open house home truth bombs. But also, this is a bit of an insight into the voice notes from Lou that the Open House Premium subscribers get inside the house. So we have revamped the Open House subscription. And what is so fun is that something we brought to the table are these voice notes because I was saying to my manager, like, I want to do more episodes. I have so much I want to say. I have so much I want to talk about. But, you know, with time and planning and scheduling and like getting all the equipment set up and being in a quiet room, no air conditioning, no traffic outside, the right lighting, no kittens attacking me, which like at this point is literally impossible because my tiny kitten has turned into an actual lion that thinks that I am its prey. I'm like, please stop doing that. And interestingly, one day when I was in England, I was just walking my dog around the garden and there was like something that I had to share with the premium community. Something that was going on in my life, something that was private, something that I was like, they knew what was going on and I had to update them on it. And I was like, do you know what? I'm just going to voice note them. And I walked around the garden and I was walking the dog and for 20 minutes, I just voice noted and that was the birth of Voice Notes by Lou. It's the only thing I've birthed ever, I'll have you know, since I birthed Open House maybe three years ago. And I feel like it's such a fun little thing because you just get me talking on the fly wherever I am in the world. I literally can be anywhere as long as I've got my phone. Then I can voice note you. People say they love them because it feels like you're listening to a friend. So today... The home truth, the voice note from Lou is let's stop demonizing the avoidantly attached. Now, today's episode is sponsored by Lilybod. Keep listening for your code to get 30% off the entire collection by being a listener of Open House wherever you are based in the world. Lilybod is an Australian designed activewear brand that I've been wearing since 2015, so coming up for nearly a decade. It's dynamic, modern, and seriously high quality. And when I tell you that the pieces from 2015 that I still own still look new, I can guarantee that they work for everything and everyone. And I have 100% faith in this brand. From your healing girl walk to your hit class, from weight training to Pilates, picking the kids up from school or rushing to therapy, or even out for your third iced coffee of the day. Even though we know we're only supposed to have one, Lilybod has something for everyone. From the perfect core collection leggings that look amazing with a baseball cap to oversized sweats, tracksuits, the cutest cycling shorts and amazing rib tanks. I love it all. But what I love most about this brand is that their focus this year is to share the word around how physical health is just one part of the puzzle to feeling your best. They understand that mental health starts from within and I love that they're the brand that supports me as I navigate this beautiful thing called life. Whether I'm having a good day a bad day, or a I need to call my therapist day. Lilybod are giving Open House listeners 40% off the entire website with code OpenHouseVIP at checkout. So you have to head over there and get yourself a new set for your Healing Girl Walk. And while I've got you, if you want to support the Open House mission to help the millions of people that are never going to be able to step inside the therapy room, please come and support our premium content. For just either $5 or $10 a month, you can get access to 20 plus bonus episodes. 
therapy Q&As, Ask Dr. Terry, voice notes from Lou, soundbite sessions, as well as access to the house, our community group, and access to a private room in that house where you can ask our therapists anything. We've linked the sign up in the show notes so you can come and get access to Open House Premium. And just yesterday, we answered two questions from inside the house about being really, really jealous of a male partner's female friends. Dr. Terry ran us through the perfect three-step process to basically work out if this is a you problem or a them problem and how to communicate it to them. So this is an epic 20-minute Q&A. Now, back to the main episode. Now, I actually cannot believe that I am saying this. Like, truly, I have spent I would say a very long time actually demonizing the avoidantly attached. And the reason for that is because they have, not going to be dramatic, ruined my life for so many years of my life. Like truly, truly. I don't know about you guys because as an anxiously attached person, like I am attracted to the avoidant like a moth to a flame, so much so that I genuinely Get that other people actually have dating drama that doesn't involve someone being avoidantly attached and that person not being me. I have demonized these people for many, many years. In fact, probably since I started my therapy journey. Now, you know what? Healthy people, they don't demonize other people. And I think just going on this journey and also really working with Sarah, the potent plant, and getting into the more like somatic parts of the healing journey. I've started to understand a lot more what is going on at like a biological and physical level for anyone that has an attachment injury. And let's be honest, so many of us are insecurely attached. Three out of the four attachment styles are an insecure attachment. So you're not alone if you have an attachment injury. It sounds bad, you know, no one wants to be injured or wounded so many of us are. And that is just how society works today. But the other great thing is that this wounding can be healed, much like a broken leg can be fixed or a broken arm. I've actually never broken anything apart from a couple of toes and a couple of fingers. The fingers I did on a trampoline when I was like 10 and I was at my friend's house and I was like, I didn't want to tell her that I broke my finger. So I just was like silently like, fuck. And then literally an hour later, it swelled up into a sausage to the point that like I couldn't pretend I hadn't hurt my finger because it was like nine normal fingers and a sausage. Um, and my toe, I've broken that a couple of times actually as an ex-dancer and ex-gymnast. There's been a lot of metatarsal injuries, broken toes. The worst broken toe of all was running across a highway in Bangkok about three in the morning, shit-faced, excuse my language, running from McDonald's on one side to the other side. God knows where I was going. And as I ran across the freeway, literally across like six lines of traffic, I smacked my toe, my little baby toe on the side of the pavement. When I say it was agonizing, I literally had to be pushed around in a wheelchair for like four days, which is not a vibe in like 38 degree Bangkok heat. Anyway, why am I talking about my toe? Oh yes, broken bones can be healed and so can our attachment wounds. So I'm not going to demonize the avoidantly attached anymore, even if they've had me pining after them, longing after them, crying after them. And I think one of the saddest things is like we do all those things, but ultimately if you are anxiously attached or you do have low self-esteem, we make the, you know, wounds of the avoidantly attached, we make them about us. Like we aren't lovable. We aren't 
good enough. Otherwise, they would have loved us. And the truth is, is like, that is not the truth. I also don't know if you guys can hear outside. Like, I have such a good microphone that it is unbelievable at picking up only me and not the crazy things that go on around me. There's literally like eight dogs fighting outside the window. Like, the dogs in Mexico are crazy. My Mexican boyfriend like didn't actually understand when I was trying to explain that in the United Kingdom, we don't have street animals. Street animals are not a thing. You're not going to go outside and be attacked by a street dog and they're not all just going to be chilling on the street. So I hope you can't hear them barking. It's very distracting. I'm going to really have to focus and crack on with this. Anyway, so we're not demonizing the avoidantly attached anymore. And that is coming from me, the queen demonizer of the avoidantly attached. Now, I think alongside this whole demonizing the avoidantly attached, there is also demonizing anyone, like there is this demonizing of anyone who even deigns to engage with an avoidantly attached person. And I think that's because, you know, in this self-development and healing world, we're very, very aware of how damaging they can be if you have an insecure attachment. Even if you have a secure attachment, how sometimes an avoidantly attached person really will not be able to give you the true experience of like ultimate vulnerability, ultimate closeness, like true union of mind, body and soul. So I also think there's this demonization. And I think that this is something that I want to talk about today. But first of all, I'm going to talk to you about what I have learned about what is really going on for these people who are avoidantly attached, you know, these people that struggle to hold space for true intimacy and vulnerability. So they get demonized for being cold, for being callous, for being heartless, for feeling nothing, for fucking everyone else around you over repeatedly, for just leaving men and women literally like in their wake. They're like a boat that just steams off and there's just people like left behind them, like hurting and vulnerable. This is kind of like what I mean by the demonization of the avoidantly attached. We take out the reality of the situation, which is we don't look at really what they've gone through. And I think one of the most beautiful things that I've learned on this journey is the understanding this origin of the avoidant attachment style and the underlying fears, it can really foster more empathy and compassion for us. Now, there's a boundary, right? We can understand from outside of the situation. That is critical. I'm not saying we should understand from the inside of the situation, i.e. being in an intimate partnership with them. And I'm going to get into that more in this episode as well. But what's so important to understand is avoidance developed their attachment style as a protective response to consistent failures in receiving love, support, connection and attunement during childhood. So much like the anxiously attached developed an insecure attachment style by maybe putting their hands up in the air, you know, crying, potentially being ignored, potentially having a caregiver that wasn't attuned with them potentially having a nervous system that was more sensitive to these types of rejections. With the avoidantly attached, rejection in the same way, this lack of attunement and this shutdown, but also more shame is what can lead them to distance themselves from intimacy and vulnerability. And what is so important here is that avoidance withhold love from others, not because they don't care, not because they don't feel anything, not because they are these demons that are heartless and callous and soulless. They withhold because their need for love was ignored in the past. It was ignored repeatedly, 
repeated being the very, very, very important word here in their childhood, leaving them ultimately unsure of how to navigate this language of intimacy. And intimacy is everything, isn't it? Think how many times we interact with friends, loved ones on a daily basis and how if those situations are threatening to you, how incredibly scary that must be because they are everywhere. And I think another thing that's been really, really hard and eye-opening for me to admit is that avoidance want love too. This is something that really took me a little while to understand because it seems like they don't, right? It seems like they would never treat us the way that they do if they genuinely wanted connection, love, to build any kind of relationship. But the truth is, is we are all biological creatures literally wired for human connection. We talk all the time about how our brain and our limbic system, it is so sensitive to rejection. But what is rejection? Rejection is social rejection. Literally any rejection in today's society is social rejection. It is rejection from a pack, from the collective, whether that's rejection from an intimate relationship, rejection from your friendship group, rejection from your family, rejection from your partner's family, rejection from the workplace, rejection from social media, rejection by getting cancelled. Everything is about social rejection. And these avoidant individuals, they are just as terrified of that rejection as, for example, the anxiously attached might be. We are just a great deal more vocal about it because we try to pull, pull, pull towards the source of attention and stability, whereas the avoidant pushes, pushes, pushes away from it. And I think the most important point that hopefully has come out of this first part of the episode is that both the avoidant and the anxious attachment style, they are insecure attachments. They feel deeply uncomfortable with true intimacy and vulnerability. But for the anxiously attached, we try to control the situation. I want this and I want to be okay with it. And if I control it, and if I know exactly what's going to happen at all moments, and this person gives me this and gives me that, I'm going to be okay. I can control and navigate this terrifying intimacy. Whereas with the avoidantly attached, they don't want to control it. All they want to do is distance themselves from it. So there isn't really the push-pull, push-pull, push-pull that the anxiously attached has. And there can be, and again, we're going to talk about that as well. But ultimately, the avoidantly attached, they feel safe when there is an emotional barrier, some kind of distance, emotional, physical, geographical between them and you. So it's just really fascinating to actually see the similarities between the anxious and the avoidant attachment style, even though they show up in reality very differently. Now let's talk about this pattern that people talk about all the time. They say, but the avoidant came on so strong. They were interested in me. They were texting me they were leading the way, they were replying, they were organizing dates, they were showing up, they were flirting, we were intimate physically. I was about to say emotionally, but it would be very interesting to ask how emotionally intimate were they really in those first few days? But even if someone was to say they were emotionally intimate with me, you know, everything was moving in the right direction. And then one day they just cut loose, shut down, disappeared. Again, as the anxiously attached, we feel like, what did I do? Was I too much? Did I do something wrong? Did I come on too strong? 
honestly, the securely attached would probably just be like, hey, that's really weird behavior from this person. We were getting on really well and then they just disappeared. I don't want to be with someone like that. So on to the next. But the anxiously attached, we don't do that. So back to what I was talking about. Why can the avoidantly attached seem like they are coming on strong or with interest? Because that doesn't align up with the narrative of everything we've spoken about so far about someone being avoidantly attached. And the truth is, is that avoidance may come across as interested or even strong in the initial stages of dating. And that's because they might be interested and there might be some part of them that is curious about this intimacy and in some moments it feels good for them. You know, we talk all the time about the the nervous system and how when you are regulated and you're in your rest and digest and you're in the social engagement part of the polyvagal chart, These interactions, they can feel good. They might be fleeting, but they can feel good. And there's some level of hope and there's some level of excitement. And we can feel these biologically in our nervous system. But with the avoidant, even though they might come across as interested and strong, their defenses can actually kick in harder as the connection deepens. So much like if you're anxiously attached and the connection's deepening, you're starting to think, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, do they like me? Why aren't they texting me back? Why are they sat online? The avoidant will be thinking, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, this is starting to feel uncomfortable. I need to put some distance between me and this. And maybe they didn't feel that in the initial dating stage. Maybe it didn't trigger their nervous system. Maybe it didn't send them into this space of intimacy being scary. Maybe they were able to stay in the social engagement part of this polyvagal chart and enjoy it. And it was fun. And, you know, they were talking to lots of people. And then over time, we know that the dynamic of conversation changes, whether that's one week in, one month in, three months in, the dynamic changes in the dating stage because you are supposed to be getting closer. You are supposed to be getting more intimate. You are supposed to be physically connecting. You maybe even are supposed to be talking about the future. Do you see me in your future? Those questions for the avoidant, they are scary as fuck. And why is it scary for them? It's scary because intimacy is scary for them. And even more... They were shamed often when they were younger for wanting or for having feelings. So in those moments when feelings are coming up, their neural pathways, their memories, their conscious memories, maybe their subconscious memories even more than the conscious ones, they're saying to them, this is dangerous. This is going to be horrible. This is going to hurt you. This person's going to hurt you. They're going to shame you. They're going to shut down. And ultimately, the body on a biological level is saying, no, 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 danger, danger, danger. So everything shuts down. And, you know, they might be consciously aware of this. Some people who are doing the work, who are in therapy, who are self-aware, who are emotionally intelligent, they might be able to say to you, I had parents who told me to stop crying when I cried. Or I grew up in a family of six and there was never any time for my emotions in the family unit. I was the middle child. I was overlooked constantly. I was the oldest. I had to take on the role of mothering. It might be that there were dynamics where those emotions were just not welcome in the family home. It might be a situation where those emotions could actually have led to these individuals being, you know, abused by their parents or really reprimanded for feeling these emotions. There might be some 
self-awareness. But them having that level of self-awareness really depends on whether they have done any emotional self-work if they've gone to therapy. Because if they haven't, this will happen on a biological level. Their nervous system will say, no, no, no. Maybe they'll shut down. Maybe they'll go into fight. Maybe they'll go into flight. Maybe they'll go into freeze. Maybe they'll go into fawn. You know, we talk about this all the time. Everyone is bio-unique. Everyone's biology determines how they show up in the world. And then you combine that with what they experienced in their childhood. And ta-da, we're all these different, unique people. But just bringing it back to the meat of the episode, you know, we demonize these individuals for how they shut down and how they treat others. And I think what we really need to be not demonizing, but being aware of is it is those that are not consciously aware of their patterns that really, really hurt people and leave them literally in the damage behind them. Because someone who is aware of this, an avoidant that is in therapy, they will be aware that this is a protective response to those consistent failures in childhood when they didn't receive love, support, and care that they needed. Maybe they were shamed for it. Maybe they just didn't get it. Whatever it was, if they are consciously aware of that, they can communicate this to people that they're dating and they can say, I'm avoidantly attached. It's because of X, Y, Z. It's something that I'm really working on. My triggers are X, Y, Z. But when this happens, I am working to do one, two, three. And I think alongside this demonization, there's this belief that the anxiously attached are doing all of the work. We're out here, we're deconstructing our attachment styles, we're trying to be better people, and that the avoidantly attached people are not doing that. Now, is that true? I don't know. I do think probably there is some statistical, statistical? Some statistic out there, which is probably, and I'm 100% making this up, but I will maybe go and look into it. I do probably believe that if you are anxiously attached, you are more likely to engage in self-reflection, to engage in therapy, et cetera, et cetera. The reason for that is because our attachment style wants to bring us closer almost to the pain so we can solve it. Whereas again, like I've said with the avoidant, they're like push away, push away, push away. So I do think probably that there are more of the anxiously attached types of individual doing this work and being able to show up in a relationship like that. I obviously... I'm anxiously attached. This whole podcast basically blew up because of the anxious attachment episode. So I definitely am biased in terms of like the number of people that I see messaging me and streaming these episodes on being anxiously attached versus anything else. So I don't want to say that it's not possible that there really aren't these people out there doing the work. Am I seeing the avoidantly attached doing the work? I could probably list you like 20 people that have messaged me since I started the podcast saying that they either have the disorganized attachment or the avoidant attachment. So yeah, if you are avoidantly attached and you are doing the work, then I think there are moments and relationships that probably can be built outside of this demonization of like, fuck them. They don't deserve me. They don't deserve to be in a relationship they shouldn't be in a relationship with anyone. And I do think everything is on a continuum. It's on a spectrum. We need to be compassionate and understanding. We need to see where people are at. Because why should the anxiously attached be given the grace to heal this attachment style, but the avoidantly attached should not be given that opportunity? Are they taking control of their situation? Are they taking ownership of it? Because if they are, then I think it's an increased likelihood 
that you could engage with that person. But if they aren't, it's dangerous. And I'm not talking like Joe Goldberg from you type of dangerous. Just it's dangerous for your heart. And what's really dangerous for our heart as well is getting inside that wound with an avoidantly attached person. Getting inside it to basically say to them, I understand what you're going through. Like, I'm in here with you. I can see it. Like, I love you. I'm here for you. Like, let, let's leave this wound together. Like, let me take you to the light side. You're on the dark side right now. Like, I can see the pain. I understand your attachment. I understand what you went through as a child, you know? When you have this awareness of attachment injuries, attachment wounding, we have a real risk, particularly as, as the anxiously attached, to want to get into that wound with them, to heal the wound, to take them out from the wound so you can both coexist outside of the wound and look back and be like, hey, oh, look, I loved you better. I loved you out of that wound. And the truth is, you should not be getting into that wound with anyone. Okay, my honeys, my honeys. That is my little voice note for you today. I just was really sat here today and I was building this PDF, which we're about to launch. In fact, it will be live by the time that you're listening to this episode. And the Anxiously Attached Guide, the ultimate guide to healing your anxious attachment, that's like a 50 page PDF packed with diagrams and all of this very helpful, like psychology journey based stuff. I would say that this PDF is as good as that one. It is really, really powerful. It's 36 pages long and Terry and I have basically put together the ultimate guide to identify the emotionally available person. So ultimately like you can really avoid them and that is a really savage thing to say. Why are you laughing? Oh my boyfriend was just laughing at something else and I was like that's hilarious because that was very good timing. Anyway, we're caveating that with an avoidantly attached person doing the work is differently is different to an avoidantly attached person not doing the work. But this guide is to help you avoid the people that aren't doing the work, the people that really are just going to tear you up, spit you out, and not in a good way. So this PDF that we put together, it has the 27 signs that you need to identify an avoidant partner in the dating stage. We cover the key questions that you need to ask the subtle signs that you need to look out for to gauge someone's emotional availability, as well as the words and phrases that people use to maintain emotional distance so you can spot them. We also put together the three-step process to stop getting hurt, as well as giving you the tools to basically distinguish what a genuine emotional connection is and what a superficial encounter is. There's so much more. We also give you soundbite scripts on how to stop dating someone in the dating stage if you think they're emotionally unavailable and what you should say and when you should say it. And if you're in a relationship with someone like this, we also tell you exactly step for step what you need to do. As ever though, these PDFs are not just about the other person, they're also about you. So we help you go on a little journey about asking yourself, why am I attracted to emotionally unavailable people? Because getting that piece of the jigsaw, that is like critical. If you can get that, you can really start to deconstruct the rest of your dating life because that is the one that has you in a goddamn fucking chokehold your whole life without realizing. Anyway, I've spent all day graphic designing this damn PDF. Like one of my biggest problems in life is that I just, yeah, I just, I just am such a control freak. It's really, really bad. Like I really want to find a team that can help me but I'm so specific about how I do things 
that I'm really difficult to work with. So basically I paid a graphic designer to design the PDF. What did I do? I spent the whole day redesigning the PDF because I'm not a normal human being. But jokes aside, I want everything to be perfect for you. I want you to have the best damn fucking ebook that you could ever have. I want it to look cool. It looks amazing. We've got a new design and the branding girl we've been working with is incredible. It's so cool. It just looks like a real magazine. I love it. Anyway, I was designing this the whole day and I just, after, after building something for eight hours that's telling you to avoid the avoidantly attached or the emotionally unavailable, it just really got me thinking about the other side of the stick. And you know, it's so, so important to me that I am always looking at everything from all angles and that we're approaching everything with compassion and curiosity and understanding. Like that is a key foundational pillar. So yeah, this is my non-demonization of the avoidantly attached episode. This is one of my voice notes from Lou. As you can hear, I just get on here and I jam. They're a bit less structured, a bit less planned, a bit less research-backed than our Monday episodes, which obviously are led by doctors, clinical psychologists, biology of trauma experts. But you know, the voice notes are fun. We all love a voice note. Voice notes I'm a jam. So if you enjoy this, you can also come and join me over in the Open House premium content. You will get two to four bonus episodes a month on top of everything else, plus access to the entire back catalogue of all of the Q&A therapy episodes that Dr. Terry and I have recorded. And on top of that, you get access to the house. There's now 400 people in our community area. And I literally feel like some of these gals are my best friends. Like every day there is great discussions going on in there and the therapists are in there too. So if you want more voice notes from Lou, if you want more of what's going on inside my head and you just want to go deeper on this journey, then come and buy this PDF. I'll link it in the show notes. Protect your heart from those people out there who are not doing the work. But most of all, if you're listening to this, you are doing the work. So come and join us in Open House Premium. Come and join us in the house. And I'm so excited. Now it's 9.10 p.m. I'm really, really hungry. We just went out for dinner before this and we had dumplings. There's this like adorable little, um, I was going to say local. I guess it's local. They just have this amazing food. I don't even actually know what the cuisine is. So I've really gone off on like a very uninformed and uneducated tangent here. But the food is delicious. And I had this dumpling soup and I'm just not full. I really need more food. I really need something sweet but we're in the middle of a tropical storm right now. And when I say tropical storm, I mean genuinely the amount of rain that comes out of the sky is like actually unheard of. I remember the first time when I was dating my boyfriend and there was one of these tropical storms. He was like, I'll be there in 30 minutes. I was like, I have found a man that will traverse a physical, literal hurricane. Not actually, but that's what it felt like to me as someone from London who had never experienced anything like this. He was literally traversing a hurricane to come to see me. So if you think I'm going to traverse a hurricane to go and get a jam donut for dessert, you're probably right. That's it from me. I freaking love you guys. Let's stop demonizing the avoidantly attached, but let's probably just not date them until they tell us that they're really doing the work too. And in the meantime, stop falling in love with people until you know what their attachment style is. Stop falling in love with people until you know if they're emotionally available or not. Slow your fucking roll. Buy the PDF. Work out what questions you got to ask in the dating stage so you don't fall in love with someone without actually even knowing who they are. Learn about pacing. Tell your anxious attachment style to sit the fuck down and chill out.
because it's been running the show for too long. You get me? We're not doing that anymore. We're on this healing girl thing. Life is good when it's chill. Life is good when it's relaxed. Trust me, it used to feel boring being calm. But honestly, I wouldn't want life any other way. And I want you guys to experience this calmness too. So don't go anywhere. Stay on this journey with me and I will speak to you soon. Hello, I'm Mark. And I'm Bethan. And we're the hosts of Seeing Red. We deliver intriguing, terrifying and dumbfounding true crime stories each and every week. With a focus on cases from the UK, we do occasionally venture overseas. We've covered everything from the mysterious death of professional footballer Emiliano Sala to the attempted murder of Victoria Sillias, a woman who fell from the sky and lived to tell the tale. Binge our bulging back catalogue and join us every Wednesday for a new episode of Seeing Red.